0: Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. The Word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah chapter 18. And uh, I thank uh, you so much for the privilege to come and speak the Word of God. I look across the crowd, and um, there's some former students out there, and uh, so I bet you didn't think this morning you'd see me. Uh, That's usually during the week, and so I do thank you so much for the privilege to speak the word of God this morning, and I know that you have this message. God's opened a lot of doors. I have specifically prayed along those lines whether doors would be opened or closed, and so here we are, and uh, your pastor asked me, and would you know somebody else was teaching my Sunday school class this morning, so we're set to go and ready. This morning, Jeremiah chapter 18, are you in the potter's house or are you headed for the potter's field? The Bible is clear that we have a choice in our relationship with the Lord, that he doesn't force anything on us, that he's given us a free will and we're to exercise that in love and worship towards him. And it's our choice whether or not to do so and yet the Lord is gracious, he teaches us so much about who he is that we ought to love him and seek his face. This morning, I I do start off the message with a question because you are headed in one of two directions this morning. And there's really no doubt about it. Each of us have to continually and progressively seek the Lord if we're going to grow and draw closer to Him. One of the most exciting things that I get to do in my church is discipleship. And I teach those that I disciple that living the Christian life is running up a down escalator. If you stop on a down escalator, Uh, Not only is no progress made, but you'll backslide. You'll backslide. And Jeremiah, in this passage of Scripture, that's exactly what he's doing. He's dealing with a group of people that are backsliding, and God is instructing Jeremiah specifically, but giving him a message for those for whom he is responsible. And this morning, you are responsible. For some, you may be the only light of Jesus Christ in their life. Uh, I can remember moving to Miami. That was an experience. From the north I served in Christian camp. was the first thing I did, Circle C, there at the school. And I thought, well, for sure. My wife had told me about Christian camp. Uh, she had gone to a place called the Bill Rice Ranch, which was about cowboys and horses. And I thought, this must be no different. And we have Bible in it. And I met the first person I'd ever met in my life who had never heard of God. I had eight-year-old boys and had never heard of God. And uh, God began to change my life, and I knew that this was a different place, that people didn't know who God was. And so you may be that only light Would that they see you drawing closer to the Savior. Would that they see you so in love with who he is that uh, they're going to ask, Why? Why are they that way? Why are they different? Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, the Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Now this morning I bet you expected to hear Dr. Molina. And this morning, I expected to hear Dr. Mortensen. But the point is, we're here to hear from the Lord. Amen. Okay, Jeremiah was a vessel, and this whole passage is about being a vessel. But I hope this morning you came to hear from the Lord. Because that's what Jeremiah needed in his life. And that's what the people of Israel needed at that time. And as they're at a crossroads in this passage of uh, Scripture, so we too are in a crossroads in our country. And uh, our country, I just had recently gone with the seniors, and it was great to go into the Library of Congress. And you know what was in the Library of Congress? On the first floor, the th- first thing we saw was a, uh, a new co- uh, the first edition of the Gutenberg Bible. Man, was that great to take my kids on senior trip, and the first thing you run into... And uh, they asked what was, this was about, and Alexander Seralta's dad was there, and he was describing all of it, so it's kind of nice for you as a Bible teacher to see this, uh, this man explain all that. But that's what our country was founded on, but that's not where our country's at right now. And Jeremiah is speaking to people who are threatened by Babylonian captivity, and they're threatened by the same kind of situation, that the world is about to overtake them in a much more aggressive form, in a much more invasive form, but I'll tell you, the world is trying to invade America. And I don't mean other countries of the world, I mean the world's philosophy. And it's trying to invade and culcate our children and change the next generation. So the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, I bet that wasn't the only word, though, that Jeremiah had looked at that week. That is, Jeremiah had cultivated a heart that was willing to respond to the things of God because he studied the word of God and he had plowed deeply all week. Uh, I appreciate that this morning we're going to be centered around the word of God. And I appreciate that there's probably a Wednesday night service where we're centered around the Word of God. But our life daily must be centered around the Word of God. We must dig deeply. The field must be plowed and prepared. There's a brief moment this morning to open the Word. Is the field already ready? One of the things I often pray when I get to speak in chapel is that the Lord would prepare our hearts, that they would be good ground, that the Word of God might find a place to bear fruit even this week. The message that goes forth this morning and every morning, every Sunday, where believers gather together and center around the Word of God, it's a time of preparation that fruit might be seen later. And the same here for Jeremiah, but there's an interesting instruction in verse 2. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my word. Sometimes the command that we hear from God is go. And in this case, Jeremiah was to go somewhere for instruction. He was to go to the potter's house. And he say, wait a minute, he didn't go to the church house. He didn't go to the synagogue. No, he went to the potter's house because there God had a lesson for him. Those of you that are older, you might know this. I can remember getting out of college. I took a year off and I went into a trade and I became a painter. And did I learn things there? Right now I'm a deacon. I'm a chairman of the deacons. I joke, that's my doctorate degree. I don't need to get a doctorate degree. Being chairman of the deacons is enough. And there are other places that God has to teach you. Now this place is central. Church is central. The Bible is central. But that is not the only place to learn of the things of the Lord. And so God has a message for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're usually the man that gets up and preaches the word of the people, but today I want you to go and see a potter's house, and I want you to watch what he's doing there. And as I began a study for this message, I realized, you know, the potters were not held in very high esteem. Uh, what they produced was often just something used in common use, and they were not esteemed highly. But Jeremiah, this is interesting, in verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and there's no big pause between the period. There's no questioning. There's immediate obedience, immediate obedience, and that's what God wants from us: immediate obedience. And he went and he looked upon what the potter was doing there in his house, and he wrought a work on the wheels. And so this morning, I want you to think about your life. I, I thought about maybe telling this message simply clay. We are clay before the Lord. Sitting on a wheel and He wants to work with us. And and He's not going to force Himself on us. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's going to encourage us, prompt us, convict us, but He's not going to force us. And what kind of work does God behold when He looks on the wheel of your life and He sees you sitting there as a piece of clay? Moldable before the Lord? Or are you unmoldable? Are you in the potter's house this morning or are you headed to the potter's field? Verse 4, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. So we have an image here and I want to explain a little bit to you what happens in the potter's house. As he takes that clay and he molds it and he makes it. It's a difficult process for the clay, but not for the potter. In fact, the potter can reel things off very quickly if the clay is moldable. The first thing the potter has to do is he has to purge out any stones or any sharp pieces of wood or any impurities that might be in there. The Bible calls this sanctification. God wants a vessel that he can use. You see, God... God loves you, and He wants you part of His family, but He wants more than that. He wants you to help Him in ministry. He wants you to come alongside Him. Now, the ministry is going to get done, but He invites you. He invites you to be part of that ministry, to reach others for the Lord, to impact people who need Jesus. But first, He works through the impurities, and first, there's some things that He needs to take out of our life. So I want you to think about this. Often we think about the judgment seat of Christ as this this time and this place where God's going to examine our life and he's going to say, thou good and faithful servant. And sometimes we see it so distant in the future that we don't make any practical application today. But today we sit on that wheel, the potter's wheel. And as he spins that, he is looking to remove all the impurities of the clay before he can make a vessel fit for his use is there something this morning in your life that God needs to pick out of that clay before he can mold you and make you into that which he has for you? See, you're, you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. And that, that's not a discouraging thing. That's an encouraging thing. Um, I don't usually speak on this, but I'm, I'm 35 this year. 35 this year. And uh, God's working on me. God's working on me uh... at 35 i've had to change some things this year lots going on in my family and it's it's difficult when you're the bible teacher and you've went to bible college and then you got your master's degree and then you worked on your second master's degree and you think by now i should have this figured out but but no because i'm not finished either not finished either and so there's some impurities that god wants to to pick out but not only that Actually, the potter has to pop all the air bubbles. Now, I don't want you pointing fingers or anything, but have you met people, even those who claim to be saved, that are full of hot air? Yes. I mean, God's got to get all those impurities out. And the problem with the air bubbles is if you go to fire the clay and the air bubble's in there, it's going to burst and it's going to leave a permanent mark because now it's going to be fired and that's, going to be, and that's what everybody's going to see. And it's, it's just going to be pockmarked and it's going to be something undesirable to others. And so God's working this clay even before he begins to spin the wheel and he's purging all the impurities and he's getting rid of all the hot air. And those hot air are sometimes our ideas and our aspirations and our great goals and our great dreams. And can I tell you this? God can dream better than you can. That God can set your goals better than you can. Uh, I stand here this morning and I'm privileged. I get to have my family in the background, but that was never my plan. It's not my plan to have family. certainly wasn't my plan to leave the north. And here I am, right, in Miami. And this is what my kids know, and this is what my kids will grow up. You know, it's it's God who's got to be at the helm, not us at the helm. And uh, the spinning wheel is interesting. The spinning wheel is horizontal, but it reminds us of, of another wheel. You probably used this wheel on the way here, and that was your steering wheel. And too often, this is where we are at as a Christian. We've got both hands on the steering wheel, instead of laying out before the potter's wheel and letting God direct and letting God shape and mold. We want to chart our direction. Some of you will use your GPS as a little bit of help, but we want to chart that direction. Some of you will use your phone. I have a senior officer. His phone talks to him, tells him where to go. Some of you want to be directed by your phone, but God says, I want to direct you. And I want to direct you in what you pull out of your life. And I want to direct you in those things and aspirations that I'm going to take out of your life. And, and sometimes those aspirations are good. I can remember going to graduate school and, and sitting with pastors and having classes together. And I can remember um, one day getting early to class and the, t- and the teacher was like, have you ever thought of doing something other than what you're doing? I said, I don't know. I pretty much like teaching. The only thing I've ever thought of is teaching right here where we're studying, right here where I went to college and where I now go to seminary. He said, well, that's fine. Put in your application and we'll see you next year. And uh, he looked at me with a hard look. You know, that was kind of like an inviting phrase, but a hard look after. And I said, sir, you know, I really appreciate that more than you can understand, but I'm pretty sure that I need to pray about that. And he smiled. He smiled. And he said, yes, you do need to pray about that. And I remember going home excited, calling my wife and saying, hey, I need to tell you about this, and then we're not going to talk about it at all. You're going to pray for about one week, and I'm going to pray about it for one week, and we're not going to talk about it at all. I mean, I'll talk to you in between. Obviously, I'm away to college and you're at home, but we're not going to talk about this and I could hear the excitement in her voice and I went to sleep that morning and got uh, that night and got up the next morning and already knew that I wasn't gonna be there, I was gonna come back to Miami. I didn't tell her that because I said, we're not gonna talk about it for a week and I remember when that week came and I I went to make that call and I was kinda like, "Uh, you know, I don't know how she's gonna take this and she was almost crying on the other end because she had to tell me that no, that was not what God had for me even though that's what I wanted. But God has better things. God has better things. I look forward to the fact that my kids might grow up speaking two languages. I have a hard time with languages. Greek took me. I didn't take it. And uh, I I look forward to that and what God can do with them. So will we do that? Will we sit on the wheel? Will we be moldable? Verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. And and Romans chapter 9 and verse 21 tells us a little bit more about this. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And that idea of honor and dishonor is the kind of um, that piece of pottery that you'd set up to be ornate. Something you'd examine and admire but not really use. Something that lays on a shelf. That, that idea of dishonor is not as strong as our English gives us. It's the idea that this is something common. Though, though it's common, it's going to be used over and over and over again, and it's useful for things. And God says, out of the same clay, out of men, I make those things that are, are to be useful and those that are attractive but really don't have much use and I I fear that in our culture and in our society we have become satisfied with attractive and sacrificed beautiful. We have become drawn to that which gets someone's attention rather than that which gets the job done. And God says I can make both. I can make both, but it's really about our what kind of clay are you going to be? What kind of clay are you going to be? Now I don't know this because I don't drink coffee. I know. I'm in Miami, I don't drink coffee. Uh, but I'm telling you, I, I know some teachers who do. Me, me and Mr. Jeffries get to work very early in the morning, and uh, he lives. His hand starts every morning with a coffee cup. I mean, and, and uh, this morning, this last week in teachers' meeting, we had a competition of who had the biggest coffee cups. We were sitting at tables. People kept bringing bigger and bigger coffee cups. And uh, but that's useful, is it not? Every day, it's there. I saw uh, this this morning, and I was was very pleased. Uh, Your pastor let me into the conference room, and there was a cup prepared for him, and uh, food prepared for him, and that's good. That's good. Uh, The sound technician helped me, and he came and found me because I was not where I was supposed to be, and that's good. And that's good to take care of your pastors that way. That's important. So what kind of vessel will it be? Sometimes we do this as a Christian. We say, well, I have this in my past and I have this in my background and so certainly God cannot use me. But do you notice the passage? You're marred in the hands but you didn't get out of the hands of the potter. Now, you might have done the marring. The marring might be been the sin nature that's in you that needed to be purged for you to be saved. But at no time were you outside the hands of the potter. And he said, I'm just going to make it again. And... Make it again, another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. What is it that God wants to do with you? What is it, how is it that he wants to make you again? You see, we're never finished with God, and God's never finished with us. If we're willing to come to him in humble submission, he'll continue to mold us. I work with kids uh, all my life. And I tell you, uh, there's this point where I get them in sixth grade, and they're shorter than me, and It's great. And I'm an adult and I'm someone to be looked up literally to and, and you know, practically to. And just the other day I was walking with Andrew Delgado and I looked at him, he must have grown on foot. And I said, you know, you're not supposed to do that till after you leave. And he was kind, he, he crouched down and walked with me at level. And, but it's even nicer to see uh, when they grow up and they become a man or they become a woman and you can see it in their character. And you see they're remade. And it's, it's, even, it's even a bigger blessing when they're remade in the character of Christ, in the character of Christ. So you, you may be marred. You, you might have got marred this week. You, got a, you might have got marred this week, but you're not outside his hands. So it's that willful submission and coming back to him. So what does it mean then to be moldable clay? Well, we already saw in the first couple verses that we've got to listen and we've got to obey immediately. And it may be this morning that God is speaking to you something and we're not talking about go home and think about it, but immediate. And I I just want to echo your pastor. Baptism is the first step of obedience. And I really appreciate what he said. If you just don't understand it, go to the class. You don't have to decide today. But be confronted with the truth of God's word. Be confronted with the truth of God's word. Never be afraid to be confronted by God's word because that's his hands molding the clay. But it's an interesting thing. If we won't do this as individuals, it begins to have a corporate effect. Look at verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And Isaiah 64, 8 also tells us, but now, O Lord, thou art... Our Father, we are the clay, and Thou our potter, and we all are the work of Thy hand. So please be careful to be in the right spot. You're the clay on the wheel before the eye of the potter. You don't switch places. You don't switch places. We are not here to mold God in our image. God is infinite. God is unchanging. He is immutable. He changes not. And in a world that consistently and constantly changes, aren't you glad there's something that stays the same? Yes. And so we're to go to God and He is not to take the place on the wheel. We do not make Him look like us. We do not make Him towards our, our concerns, our biases, our pleasures, our desires. We come to God as moldable clay, so please be careful not to switch the spot. And sadly, Jeremiah has to speak to Israel and say, this is what you're doing with me. You're making me into what you need. You're making me into what you want instead of letting me be the God of your life and molding you in such a way that you will have what you need. But you will also have what I want, what God wants for your life, and it's supremely better than anything that we could imagine. He goes on in verse 7, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. Have we not seen that in the world this year? When God has had enough, can he not destroy, pluck down, toss down, regime after regime this year? I mean, that's not beyond God. He can do that quite easily. Eight, and if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of that evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant. Didn't he do that for America? I mean, he did that for us. I love it at our church. Uh, we, we do not have to worry about patriotism at our church. We have uh, plenty of Cuban people that will constantly remind us that this is the best place in the world. Right. This is the best place in the world. But only, only as we obey God. And we're, I'm telling you, we're on a precipice. I can tell you as a teacher that's taught for 13 years, I, I can see the difference over time. I can see the difference over time. I used to listen to the, the seasoned teachers, and they would tell me this, you know, uh, Pastor Garcia is my mentor teacher. I, I'm old enough to be his oldest son. And, and so I took that with a little bit of grain of salt, like, okay, you know, is it those good old times? You know how the good old times are always better than that? But no. No, you, you, you can see it. And so we need to make a decision. But there's, there's hope there uh, because, again, it said... In verse 8, if we'll repent of that evil that I thought to do in them, he'll, he'll turn, he'll turn. Verse 10, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, and I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And God's just poured out so much grace on our country. I mean, we need to obey. We need to obey and we need to seek God. And, and whether the president thinks so or not, whether he says we're a Christian nation or not, uh, we're a Christian nation this morning, are we not? I mean, we're in God's house this morning. We're a Christian nation. And, uh, but we need to obey. And and I appreciate what your pastor said about, you know, we need to have a name and let people know who we are. Uh, But Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. If you do your good works, they'll glorify, not you, your Father, which is in heaven. Okay? And I'm telling you, there's people that just... I went on a senior trip. We had two bus drivers. We had Wayne and uh, the the other bus driver, Peter. And uh, Wayne just... I mean, he got with our kids. I mean, he gave his testimony. He went to church with us. He did all these things. Peter was a harder nut to crack. And, uh, but I, I would remember him. I would come out, and I'd load luggage. I just, you know, to me, it's Tetris. You're organizing things. I like to organize. So I would load luggage. That was one of my jobs on the trip. And he would come out, and I'm like, sir, you don't need to do this. We're going to take care of this for you. If nothing else, I could call on some of these young guys to get under there and whatever. And, uh, and you know what he appreciated was hard work. And the world will appreciate hard work, too. And they'll see your good works. And they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. Please, please, you, you bear the name of Christian. Do, don't be lazy at work. Yes. Don't, don't destroy the testimony of God. Just don't. That you may be it that they get to see of a Christian. And everybody can tell whether you're. What, what does Solomon say? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Do it with all thy might. Now, this is some national stuff that Jeremiah is bringing up, but there's then a personal application in verse 11. Now, therefore, go to speak to the men of Judah. See, now, God wants the nation to turn, but where does the nation turn? It turns with individuals, with people. Go to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, and devise a device against you. Return you now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. So he even gives them a warning through the prophet Jeremiah. Look, is not going the right direction. Turn around, go the other direction. Be more moldable. Look at the sad response in verse 12. And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Please don't get to this place. Well, this is just the way that I am. And nothing's going to change that. The kids think it's funny. I never carried a cell phone. Never had a beeper, which was before that. I'm just the can't-get-a-hold-of guy. I went in October of last year to a marriage conference, uh, which was emotional and psychological torture for me. I didn't go because there was any specific problem. I went because my wife asked me to, and I thought, sure, what are they going to teach me that I don't already know? And uh, instead, it was, it was a very changing experience. I got very convicted. My wife can't get a hold of me if she wants help. So then I wrote her a beautiful letter on her birthday and said, you know, I, I do not want to be deceived by these people. I hear people always stuck in plans and this and that. And I'm telling you, would you go out and get the phone, and I'll pay for it, but whatever. I just don't want to get stuck like everybody else I hear complaining about at the lunch table. And uh, she didn't believe me. She didn't believe me. And uh, then she finally... She, she went and said, are you serious about that? I, yeah, I'm serious about that. And she went and did that. See, I've been very challenged this year that I could get stuck in my own ways. Uh, I could get very stuck in my own ways just like a worldly person could get stuck in my ways, but that's not what God asked for me. What God asked for me is to be moldable. He asked me to be moldable. And I'll be honest with you, that's hard for me to do. I'm a very black and white guy. It's very, you know, this is the way it is. But that's not what God wants. What God wants is that which is moldable. That's, that's the encouraging part of the message. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Here's the rough part, right? Are you in the potter's house or are you headed to the potter's field? Now, the potter's house was an amazing thing. Out of that house came ornate things that people would display and draw people's attention. They'd be very beautiful. After he was done spinning it on the wheel, he would usually put his hand into the center of it and out of that carve out that hollow space. And is there not a hollow space in each and every one of us that only God's hand can fill? There is. There is. And then uh, he would begin to shape it. But then it's set aside so that it can set a little. And after it sets a little, it's brought back to the wheel. See, God's not finished yet. It's brought back to the wheel, and any kind of uh, uh, missing things are filled in with a very fine, uh, silky, smooth clay. But then also comes this cutting device. You see, when he takes it off the wheel, there's a little bit of junk on the bottom, and there's some stuff on the sides. And, And after he's set, he takes that and he cuts that off. And sometimes there's things that God cuts out of our life. Are we willing to do that? And sometimes he smooths the rough edges over, and are we willing to do that? Because if we're not, then we end up in the potter's field. Matthew chapter 27, and verse 3, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. and didn't say that he betrayed God, but that he betrayed someone that was innocent. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he had a very bad solution to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. That is not the solution, by the way. It's, it's rather to be remade by God. And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. To bury strangers in. Wherefore the field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. There he is again, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, of whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them. For the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. See, some things are happening in the potter's field. Before that clay can hit the wheel, um, it's actually made in the back. Now, if if you've seen our softball fields or our baseball fields, you understand this. When it's baked, I mean, that's powder. That's powder. And when it's wet, (laughs) you don't have to step in it. You might lose a shoe. And so in the potter's field, this process is going on. He's either taking wet clay from the bank of a river or he's taking powdery, dusty clay and he's mixing just enough water for it to get consistent and moldable. And I'm sorry to tell you this, to do that, um, he stomps on it with his feet. And uh, God made it very clear to Adam, uh, the serpent's going to bruise the heel, but I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. And that's a picture of what God wants to do with the sin in our life before we can be moldable. And so they literally uh, blend it with their feet. and Usually the apprentice does that and hands it off to the potter. But some other things are back there. Every time he does that where he cuts off the extra stuff, now look, that's already set for a little while, so it's not good anymore for mold. So all those tailings are thrown into the potter's field. And then if the pottery makes it in the kiln, and while it's being fired you hear a breaking noise, that's not good, nor is it usable. And those fragments go out in the potter's field. And so what happens is over time, uh, unless the potter wants to stay there, if he moves, that land is useless. It's useless. And so I'm sure you guys just uh, spoke on Easter and all those events that occurred with that. So here Judas, he realizes that Jesus uh, is going to be killed because of what he did. He realizes Jesus is innocent. Somehow he still doesn't realize that Jesus is God. And he throws that money back. And these guys are real you know, careful about the minute things about the law. And we can't use that money, so we'll buy a potter's field because the only thing that it's good for is to bury strangers in Jerusalem. Now, that term strangers means that they were not uh, in right relationship with God in Israel. Or it means they had come to Israel for one of those feasts without family and had died while there in Jerusalem. And since nobody claimed the body, they would be buried like a Gentile. Because that means nobody was there to show interest in them. Now look, God is not going to push himself on you. But you need to understand that you have a choice this morning. You can be in the potter's house and you can be moldable as clay. And you can let God work in your life. And he can take out those impurities. And he can get rid of those uh, air bubbles and those philosophies and dreams that are yours or the world's and not needed for service. Or you're headed for the potter's field. A place of alienation from God, a place of alienation from loved ones, a place from alienation from the things of God. Judas's legacy, he had an opportunity to be a faithful disciple of Christ. His legacy, he bought a field for people alienated from God. How fitting, since he himself alienated himself from God. Now, I, I need to caution you. Judas spent three and a half years with God. It's hard for us to comprehend at this point in history, but Judas must have been a good guy. He held the bag. He held the money. Who do you let hold your money? It's kind of funny. I've been senior sponsor for two years, so when anybody needs change, they come to see me because I have the senior's money in my left pocket. And uh, that way, that's their money. Who do you trust? On the senior trip, I was the bank. I had everybody's money. Who do you trust to hold the bag? I would hope that is a good guy. Can I please tell you, if you're a good guy or a good girl, that's not the same as being in a relationship with God? I mean, I appreciate that you're at church this morning, and I hope that the Word of God is challenging your heart, but that is not enough. That is not a relationship. Well, what what if I'm good? And while I'm good, I'm doing some things for God, you know? We don't know each other, but it's kind of a third-party deal. I know these people who know him, so I'm going to do some good things. Did you know that Judas did good things? He was sent out two by two. Judas may have even performed miracles. They were given power to heal the sick. They were certainly given power to preach. Judas probably stood behind a pulpit and preached. Would have been the Old Testament scriptures, but preached nonetheless. Would have gave the message of the gospel. The point of a disciple was to repeat the message of his teacher perfectly. But it was also to live the life of his teacher. And on this, Judas failed. This morning, you're going to one of two places. I hope because you're here in church this morning, you came to the potter's house so that God might mold your life. He might remove some impurities. He might pop some air bubbles. You might come out a vessel fit for his service. Because I appreciate that you're all sitting here, but you also all need to be active for God. You all need to be active for God. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We live in a culture that likes to entertain us. I mean, I I hear guys that can rattle off stats at the lunch table. There's, I guess, there's ESPN 1, 2, 3, and 4, I guess. I don't know. I don't personally do all that. And yet, if I asked them to rattle off Bible verses or Bible references, that would not be happening. And and I'm not here to disparage them, but that's in a Christian school, is it not? So it's not just to sit and take in, but to serve. Many of those vessels were common. They were bowls, or they were cups, uh, or they were lamps. They, they used them for light. They didn't just sit up on a shelf. And I hope your Bible's not there either. Oh, I put it up. It's ornate. Oh, mine doesn't say it anymore. I must have wore it off. It used to say Holy Bible on the front of it. Everybody would know that that's what it was. And on Sunday, I'll pull it for this morning. And then it'll go back up there. Now, this is meant for daily use. Uh, my son's, is this to me is a blessing. Uh, my son, he used his Bible so much it broke. And uh, besides the point of what do you do with those, those Bibles, I can't throw them out. I have to just put them on a shelf or something. But I, then I said, okay, well, he needs a Bible. So I went to my classroom and I got out my Bible. It's the first Bible I ever received as a gift, it was for preaching revival in the church I internshipped at, and it was worn. I mean, it's worn, the cover. And I gave him that Bible. That, that's what this book is supposed to be like. You should, you should go through Bibles. It's okay. Now, I don't know what you do with them afterwards. I really don't. But you should go through Bibles. It's okay to be used of God, to be considered common, and, and though your pastor stands up here and though I stand up here and there are those of us that that's what we're called to do, that does not mean the rest are not called to minister. They're called to minister in some form or fashion. And I'm not kidding this morning when I say that it's nice that someone prepared something to eat for your pastor and somebody took care of the sound and brought me the things that I needed this morning. Those, those are ways to minister. They let the word go forth. And you need to find that way to minister. And it's, it's not difficult. My kids know this. At least the ones, oh, I gave all my stuff to my wife. I don't put anything in my pockets when I preach. But I have five tracks in my pocket today, if we go out to eat after service, that one of those tracks is going to that cashier or that, that lady that serves me or my server. It doesn't take much to give a track. It's a nice small one. It's got 32 pages of scripture. You have five fit in my pocket. Now, you find the one that's for you. Uh, for Senior Trip, I went and found history ones for Mr. Thompson. I found ones that had American flag on. I found one, I, I, you know, you find the one that's for you, but are you giving out the word? I mean, your pastor gives out the word, I would hope, faithfully to you. But do you give it then to another? Do you give it to another? So Judas, he preached. He probably performed miracles. Certainly, he seemed to be a servant of God. He sat at Lord's Supper. Can you imagine? He sat at Lord's Supper. I don't know how you celebrate Lord's Supper. But he sat at that. And yet he was not right with God. So I ask you this morning, are you in the potter's house? Are you moldable? Are you usable? Are you willing to be changed and sanctified for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his service? Or are you simply headed for the potter's field? And I'm sorry to tell you this morning, it's just one or the other. Those are the only options there. I hope you understand from the scriptures this morning that God wants to do things in your life. He's not finished with you, not by a long shot. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with any of us. But the key is to stay moldable. The key is to be willing to be on the wheel rather than grabbing the steering wheel. The key is to let the Lord work in your life. Remember that you are are simply clay. He is the potter. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the things that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity even to come here this morning and to share your word. Father, I thank you for the promise that it will not return void, that it will accomplish the purpose whereunto you sent it. And, Lord, I just pray that you would be with anyone in this room, Father, if they don't know you, that they would come to know your son in a real living relationship, that they wouldn't be satisfied with works, uh, Father, but that they would desire to know you personally. We thank you for the example of Jeremiah. He immediately obeyed. He went somewhere to learn. Uh, He saw things that only you could reveal to him because of that obedience. Help us, too, to be obedient. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would convict those that are doing what's wrong and help them to repent, to turn, as was stated in Jeremiah 18. We pray for those that are doing right, that you would strengthen and encourage their heart, that you would create a resolve in them to do that which is right. And maybe they just need to come up this morning and just acknowledge that, yes, Lord, I hear what you're saying, I hear that, and I'm willing to be moldable. Lord, I don't even know what you want of me, but I'm willing to be moldable. I'm willing to be on the wheel rather than to grab the steering wheel. And Father, we pray that what was preached this morning would go forth. Father, it would bear fruit this week. We would see lives changed. And we just thank you uh, for your graciousness and the gifts that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.